0: Hello, and welcome to The State of Shakespeare. I'm Garrett Vandermeer. And I'm Jim Elliott. And our guest today is Kevin Rich. Hello, Kevin. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. It's great to have you back.
1: Yeah. It's great to be back. I had and a we... great time last time.
0: Oh, thanks. So did we. It was 2017 when we last checked in with you and you were in your final season at Illinois Shakes and about to That's begin it. your tenure at Colorado Shakes in Boulder, Colorado.
1: That's right. That's right. I'm on the faculty here at UC Boulder or CU Boulder, and I work with the Colorado Shakespeare Festival, although it's not like last time where it's like a joint position. But I have had the good fortune of working as an actor and a director for the festival, which is in our backyard, several times since then.
0: And you are, you are also the director of the Applied Shakespeare Certificate Program, which we'll, we'll find out more about later. Yeah. And as we speak, you're currently appearing in the contemporary play, The Book of Will as Henry Condell.
1: Am I saying that right? Is it Condell or Condell? Do we It know? is Condell, and I had the same question. It's Condell. I'm <laughs> glad to hear oh, a good card. I always thought it was Condell. <laughs> I mean, uh, our team has decided on Condell, but I too came in thinking maybe Condell. So, so
0: you're, you're appearing as Henry Condell in, uh, in the contemporary play from, I think, 2018, The Book of Will by yeah. Lauren Gunderson. Um, yes. which is in production now through August 6th in the historic Mary Ripon outdoor theater. Am I saying that right? Is it Ripon? Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. All these names. Well, I
1: I've, I've, I've heard both actually. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Ripon well, and the Ripon.
0: Let's go with the historic outdoor theater in the foothills there in Boulder, Colorado. And this play Uh, The Book of Will by Lauren Gunderson tells the heartfelt and hilarious true story of the artist and friends who undertook the Herculean effort to publish Shakespeare's plays in the wake of his death.
1: What an interesting premise. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. It is Shakespearean fan fiction at its finest. (laughs) (laughs) It's exactly the sort of thing that Jim and I love to geek out
0: about. Can't wait to hear about it. Now, this play is about the birth, birth of the first folio of Shakespeare, we assume, right?
1: Yes. Yep. It's
0: how that came to be. Now we recently talked with Michael Whitmore from the Folder Shakespeare Library in Washington D.C., which houses, among other things, a collection of original First Folio editions. And I just realized that the First Folio will be 400 years old next year in 2023. Yeah. What, for those of us who who need a refresher, what is the First Folio?
1: So well, and I you know I'll speak kind of from because Lauren Gunderson clearly did her homework, um, and you know there's so much great research in the in the play. The first folio was primarily the efforts of two actors, Henry Condell and John Hemmings, who after the death of William Shakespeare decided to gather up all the plays and publish them. Uh, it is a collection of 36 of Shakespeare's plays, 18 of them had not been published before in court, you know, as a quarto or in any way. And so we can credit this first folio with 18 of the plays. That would have been lost to time otherwise, and then the other eighteen were sort of existing in various iterations. And the play kind of takes a deep dive into that. It opens with an actor saying the "to be or not to be" speech from the first quarto of Hamlet: uh, "To be or not to be, the I there's the point," <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and the three. King's Men who are still alive. The play starts three years after the death of William Shakespeare. And Henry Condell, John Hemmings, and Richard Burbage are sitting in a in a tavern and they're just complaining about the show they just saw. (laughs) And how so many of Shakespeare's plays are getting pirated. Um, Henry explains that boys are coming to their theater, listening to their performances and writing as fast as they can, jotting down scripts imperfectly and then those are getting published and they're just expressing concern that you know the real plays by William Shakespeare are not going to outlive them and then I don't want to give away too many spoilers but very early in the play uh, Richard Burbage passes away and Henry and John think you know he he knew so many of Shakespeare's plays and that memory is gone and they realize that if they don't do something about it all of these amazing plays are going to die with them. And so they go through the very difficult task of rounding up all of the plays that the first person they go to is the stage manager of the theater and ask for all the scripts. And they were lost in the fire when the theater burned down because of a cannon malfunction. <laughs> and so then, then it's this, just this journey of trying to track down sides and, wrangle with the publishers of quartos and it's really quite an adventure story it's great fun yeah i was gonna say it just it sounds it sounds
2: a little bit like an elizabethan adventure story i'm thinking about national treasure the nicholas cage movie where he's hunting after various artifacts to create yeah. something um, yeah. and that sounds really exciting but i do have a question about that beginning scene where they're saying that boys are coming to the theater and scribbling down and then using it as a script was that is that true were they doing that
1: To my knowledge, that's our best guess about how those quartos, I mean, I think that there are different opinions about the various quartos, you know, that one in particular, the first quarto of Hamlet is often called the bad quarto. (laughs) But I've also heard, I've also had conversations with some defenders of it who actually say, well, it's only, it's lean and mean, it's two hours long, it actually plays better than it reads. So who knows, but I think yeah, I think the thought is, is that there were no sort of copyright rules at the time and various versions were were being published, particularly by someone named William Jaggard, who is actually a character in the play. Um, and if you look at the first folio, if you, I don't know if you have a copy of a facsimile or, you know, but there's there's a variety of really interesting things before, like at the very beginning of the book, including a dedication to two earls a foreword by Ben Johnson, and it's attributed to be published by Isaac Jagger, William's son. And I think that Lauren Gunderson took those dots and connected them. I don't know how many of them are absolutely fact-based and how many are her terrific theatrical imagination connecting the dots. But Isaac and William Jagger are both characters in the play. Ben Johnson is a character in the play. And... And there's also an account of why those two random earls came to be included in the dedication. So I think it's equal parts uh, historical fact and theatrical imagination. But I think Lauren does a really great job of imagining the struggles. And and I know our artistic director, Tim Orr, on the first day of rehearsal, talked about why they chose that play for this particular moment. It was it was just it's a love letter to theater. It's a love letter to Shakespeare, and they were reading plays in the middle of the pandemic, thinking about twenty twenty three potentially being like an opportunity for us to be at full capacity again and and it just seemed perfectly timed about how you know this play about how theater will rise above all the challenges and survive at any way possible. It really is a beautiful story about resilience and in the face of challenges.
0: So who was Henry Condell, the character that you're playing? I don't know anything about him.
1: Yeah. So, um, I mean, so Henry, and again, I'm, I'm taking a lot of this from Lauren's play. <laughs> but <laughs> Henry and John were probably the two last members of the King's men. They were, they were actors in the company. They, they performed in many, uh, they originated many roles John Hemmings actually, though, left the. He he started as an actor, but then became the theater manager, and that actually is talked about a lot in the play. Henry is kind of the idealistic actor who wants to make this happen at all costs, and is just really caught up in the romance of it all. And John is the one who's dealing with the realities of uh, what it means to to publish these plays and the cost of it, and the concern that who's going to buy this. Huge tome that size of a log that's going to cost someone a year's wages. He's worrying about all of the all of the details because he's having to deal with it as the manager. He he becomes the manager of the king's men after Richard Burbage dies.
2: So educate me about this. There was never a full play. The parts were disseminated to the actors who were playing the roles. Is that a yes, correct?
1: That's exactly right. And um, there's it's it's actually mentioned because when in the fourth scene when they learned that all the full scripts, all of, you know, Shakespeare's um, original drafts had been lost in the fire. That's what they said. Well, maybe we can find all the sides and, and piece them together. And Henry has a line. Why the hell do we start doing it that way? Anyway, every actor gets only his, his, his own lines. And the, the response is because Shakespeare was trying to prevent rival companies from stealing the scripts. It was It would be harder for rival companies to get their hands on the plays. And Henry then laments, well, now we can't steal our own plays from ourselves for ourselves. <laughs> so it does, it, it adds to the challenge. And it's funny that you say that because one of the shows, so Book of Will is one of the five plays that are being produced by the Colorado Shakespeare Festival this summer. And it's, it's really fun because the, others, the, the three Shakespeare's that are getting done, Two Gentlemen of Verona, Coriolanus, and Well that ends well, all three of those would not exist without the first folio. And then the fifth play we're doing every year, the Colorado Shakespeare Festival for the past seven or eight years has produced a kind of experiment, the original practices production. We affectionately call it the OP and it's basically an investigation of Shakespeare's original staging practices and rehearsal practices. So every year, um, a company of actors gets only their own lines. They get sides with just three words prompting and they're expected to show up on the first day as off book as possible because we only get I think 20 or 24 hours total rehearsal time, we rehearse the whole play in a week, and we have an on stage musician, we have an on stage line prompter just they just like they may have had in Shakespeare's day so if we don't know all of our lines and with only 20 hours of rehearsal, we don't know all of our lines, <laughs> we can call for line and the audience loves it. I mean, it's so fun. It sells out every year because it's a one-off performance. Um, and it's been a way to do plays that don't get done too much. In the recent past, we've done Edward II. We've done all the Henry Sixes, King John. Last year, we did Pericles. This year, in the spirit of the season, we're doing Ben Johnson's The Alchemist. So for the first time, we're doing a non-Shakespeare play, and it's a good year to do it because Ben Johnson is a character in the Book of Will, and it's been just really fun to sort of make connections between those two things. I actually just came out of a production meeting for The Alchemist because I'm the actor manager for the production, and we're going to go into rehearsal in about a week or so. And we can talk about that, too, because The Alchemist is such a... Johnson is like the photo negative of Shakespeare in so many ways. It's been fun to work on. What a tremendous accomplishment, given
2: that they're just these sides. I also know that with OP, the original practice, Shakespeare in the roles, you discover some pretty amazing moments.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's, I'm sure you've noticed that a lot of Shakespeare's plays are very repetitive where a line will get repeated three times. And if that's an actor's cue, then that's Shakespeare asking the other actor to sort of try to interrupt the other person. You know, there's all kinds of, when, when you investigate the plays through those practices, you're, I agree with you, you make all kinds of discoveries. One of my favorite stories, when we, when, what which play was it? Maybe it was Edward III. You know, because all the actors show up on the first day only knowing their lines and the three words that cue them. So they're discovering, and we, we block the first half of the play on day one, and the second half of the, of the play on day two, we just dive right in, right? And so people are learning the story as they go. And I remember the actor playing Queen, Philippa, did not know she was pregnant. She didn't know she was carrying a child because she had no language about it. Right. And when somebody else talked about how she's with child, the actor was like whoa (laughs) so it's just discovery after discovery it's built in you know you you it's just it's a great listening exercise for actors because you actually don't know what's being said to you until the moment that it is being said yeah that's just so exciting it's great fun and it's been fun to work on book of will alongside it because they're talking about these practices and they're talking about the sides and ben johnson is distinguishing himself from shakespeare about how he you know because the optimist is such a different play shakespeare i like to say it's you know if it's shakespeare's warm country heart versus johnson's cold city brain (laughs) Um, if shakespeare took the side of every character in his plays johnson takes no one's side it's pure satire it's set in contemporary london in the neighborhood in which the blackfriars you know in in which the performance is happening it's just so different from Shakespeare in so many ways. And that's talked about in Book of Will.
2: But is Lauren Gunderson's work, she's done a lot of work where she takes Shakespeare and she spins it on, on its head, you know, plays like Exit Pursued by a Bear yes, and The Taming. Is that an example of applied Shakespeare or is that just a different category altogether?
1: I mean, I would say it is. Here we've been using applied Shakespeare as kind of an umbrella term for a lot of things you know, how Shakespeare might be applied in various ways. And so as part of the program, I teach a Shakespeare and community course where we're surveying really exciting applications of Shakespeare outside of the traditional commercial theater like Shakespeare in prisons, Shakespeare with veterans. There's a Shakespeare and autism program at the Ohio State University. Really interesting sort of ways of intersecting Shakespeare with specific populations or looking at it through a specific lens. But I also think that new plays that are in conversation with Shakespeare's plays, that's applied Shakespeare, that's applying Shakespeare to new work. And I would go a step further and say that that's what Shakespeare was doing. I mean, Shakespeare was primarily an adapter. So I would argue that it's Shakespearean to be producing new adaptations of Shakespeare's plays alongside Shakespeare's plays. If Shakespeare's company only performed their classics rather than writing new versions of them we wouldn't have Shakespeare's plays. So I I do think about nurturing new work that can be described as Shakespearean as an example of applied Shakespeare. Yeah, and there's
2: I mean, there's a spate of them that's happening. I mean, Lauren Gunderson has a ton. Yes. It's almost like she's working her way through the canon. Yes, Um, which is exciting to me. Yeah, that's totally, like, I can't wait for the next one. What's she going to do? Right. Um, but then there's the there's Fat Ham which is yes. happening right now yeah. which which is the Hamlet story to southern barbecue i mean like yeah fantastic i know and I, and i'm all, and, i mean to me and yeah sorry go no go ahead
1: well i remember last time we were talking about because there's there's also in recent years been a couple of initiatives that have really fostered these plays shakespeare's new contemporaries was an initiative at the American Shakespeare Center where they were, it was a contest where they were putting out, I think, four titles a year asking for playwrights to write companion pieces and then they were choosing one and producing it. And I think that's, that's resulted in some really terrific plays. I hope they, they publish an anthology or something. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just remembering the titles. I, I know the companion piece to Merry Wives of Windsor was Anne Page Hates Fun, yeah. <laughs> which I love. I'm going to see
0: a play at um, American Shakespeare Center tomorrow. In, you are? Uh, not in Virginia. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I haven't been there before, but um, oh. they, were, they were kind enough to, to, get, uh, to throw some press tickets my way, and I'm going to see Thrive, or What You Will, which is a world premiere play, which was the winner of the 2020 Shakespeare's New Contemporaries project, which I guess must have been suspended for the pandemic, but here it's back.
1: Oh, that's fantastic! Well, and that place is the mothership of original practices. It is so cool it is it's I think w- one of my absolute favorite theaters that I've ever worked in. It's a beautiful
2: space yeah, it's amazing
1: yeah, but i mean I mean again it's a it's a chance to give modern playwrights a chance to sort of take a deep dive into Shakespeare's plays and practices and then produce something new which is what Shakespeare was doing. So, yeah.
2: it's, so it's exciting. So this, this is exciting. And, you know, Lauren Gunderson, certainly, uh, my playwright friend said she is the most produced playwright outside around the United States and all of the United States that hasn't had a play, full play produced in New York City. I did not know that she hasn't been produced in New York. That's really something. I think there was, she had a small play or a small run, but nothing of, you know, great note. And I think that's exciting. Yeah, um, that You know, she's she's gaining traction. The Book of Will made a big splash when it first came out. Uh We've talked about Con- Condell and Hemmings. Heming- we've talked
1: about Ben Johnson. Are there any women in the play? I'm really glad you asked that, because I think in many ways, Lauren Gunderson centers them. So we meet John Hemmings' wife, Rebecca, and his daughter, Alice. Henry's wife, Elizabeth. And uh, is it revealing too much? No, don't. Well, even Shakespeare's wife, Anne, makes an appearance and his daughter, Susanna. And these are all historical figures. I don't know how much we actually know about them, but Lauren Gunderson centers them in many ways in the play. It is a fact that during the, I think it took, it actually took like six years for the folio to be realized. Like it was a significant amount of time for them to actually get everything together and get this. As, as you said earlier in our conversation, it was a huge undertaking. And that is kind of compressed in the play, but it is true that during the process, John lost his wife, Rebecca. And I don't know that we know a ton of details about that, but Lauren really imagines, you know, the personal impact that might've had. Because, and this play is very much about relationships and loss and overcoming obstacles, as I said. And so that's a big part of it. Rebecca and Alice join Henry in really pushing John <laughs> to go through with it. In the play, John becomes a kind of antagonist in that, and I think I mentioned this already, he he's just saying, oh, I just don't, this isn't realistic. How are we going to get all of these plays? How are we going to do this? I'm trying to run a theater, and this is costly, and I don't even know who will buy this book. And of course, Henry is just, you know, talking about it in the sense that we we owe this to will and will's memory but rebecca has this amazing scene where she's really pushing john to do it and she says because these aren't will's plays these aren't your plays these are ours as an audience member as a these these are our plays, and we need them and we can't lose these to time it's really beautiful hearing the perspectives of the women in this world as well. And like I said, they they factor into the story just as much as the other characters that we've talked about.
2: I mean, I love that because I think that's the way I think about Shakespeare to this day, which is they're everybody's.
1: Yeah. And, and I think a lot of that is in large thanks to the publication of this book. Oh, yeah. Really, yeah. truly yeah. influential books in history. And at the end of the play, the two men decide to bring the book to Anne Shakespeare. Oh, I, I forgot another one. So the dark lady, the dark lady oh, is yeah, in the of play the as well. Yes. The dark lady of the sonnets who, you know, and again, there's different thoughts about who that is. And Henry goes to visit the dark lady and asks for money to finish publishing. And so we get a really interesting scene there where we learn a little bit about that romantic affair between Shakespeare and the Dark Lady. But anyway, at the end of the play, Henry and John travel to Stratford because they want Anne to be the first to see the book. And that's a really lovely scene. And then there's this really interesting... Lauren gives, in the script, there are multiple endings. You can choose how you want to end it. She provides the option of just ending where they close, where Anne Shakespeare says well, can you read these stories to me? You're actors, right? And these plays are meant to be heard and they open the book and that's the end of the play. But there's also the option for there to be some sort of amazing finale where we hear a cacophony of voices through time speaking Shakespeare. Maybe it's a a collage or a montage. Maybe it's in multiple languages just to really sort of drive home that these plays from this book just live on through the centuries. And CSF happens to be celebrating its 65th anniversary, and so they've created an ending that involves projections and photos of productions through the years. Val Kilmer played Hamlet here one year, and so there's a shot of Val Kilmer, a young Val Kilmer with a skull Um, And yeah, so it's this really neat sort of journey through the history of Colorado shakes. And then all the actors in the ensemble have some text from the plays. I see an excerpt about Henry talking to John. So this is it's a really powerful moment at the top of the second act. John has just lost his wife and um, they're both sitting in the theater alone. And John is is actually a little bitter about it all. And he's saying, why do we? what's the point of telling these stories like what you know it's just it's feeling a little pointless to him in his grief and he says stories of forged life life's a tempest of loss why do we bother with any of it and henry ever the optimist the idealistic actor that he is says to feel again and john says i feel enough And Henry has this really beautiful, this is where I say it's such a love letter. He says, I said to feel again. That's the miracle of it. The fairies aren't real, but the feeling is. And it comes to us here. Player and groundling alike, again and again here. Your favorite story just ended. Come back tomorrow, we'll play it again. You don't like the story you're in? A different one starts in an hour. Come here, come again. Feel here, feel again. History walks here, love is lived here, loss is met and wept for and understood and survived here. And not just the first time, but every time, we play love's first look and life's last here every day. And you will see yourself in it or your fear or your future before the plays end. And you will test your heart against trouble and joy. And every time you'll feel a flicker or a fountain, of feeling that reminds you that yes, you are yet living. And that is more than God gives you in his ample silence. And then it ends and we players stand up and we look at the gathered crowd and we bow because the story was told well enough and it's time for another. And it is amazing to perform that in this beautiful outdoor theater, having an actual balcony to look at, you know, when I'm talking about the love scenes and it, yeah, it's just, it's a love letter.
2: That's just a beautiful, beautiful passage.
0: And to our listeners who happen to be in the Colorado or Denver area, or or within reach of of Boulder, Colorado, they'll have a chance to to see this play, The Book of Will, and others in this beautifully curated season that you have uh, for your sixty—did you say sixty-fifth year?
1: Yes, I think it's the second oldest Shakespeare festival in the country.
0: And this play is running through August eighth. Yes, Kevin Rich, thank you so much for joining us
1: today. Thanks, guys. A pleasure. It's been great having you back. It's been great being back. This is so fun.
0: Well, I'm Garrett Vandermeer. And I'm Jim Elliott. And thank you for listening to The State of Shakespeare. Thanks for joining us for The State of Shakespeare podcast. We invite you to visit stateofshakespeare.com for more episodes, information about each of our guests, and the Shakespeare text you heard on the program, and much more. And we welcome you to join the discussion by liking us on Facebook. That's www.stateofshakespeare.com. Thanks for listening.